Can you guys hear me? Yep. Hey, um, so if you've got kids, middle schoolers, and high schoolers, I guess, if high schoolers want to go, uh, you can follow Jeremy out this back door. Oh, just middle school. Never mind. Sorry. I don't know. I don't go to church here <laughs> anymore. Um, I should know. This is my third time teaching here. So, um, Anyways, my name is Russell. Uh, thank you guys for letting me come here and hang out with you this morning. Um, I know it's always a bummer when there's a guest speaker. Um, maybe some of you guys brought family with you because it's Thanksgiving week and they wanted to come and check out your church, and now they don't even get to hear the guy they came to hear. Um, sorry about that. Uh, anyways, but David introduced me earlier. Um, I, uh, myself, and my wife started an apartment ministry back in 2018. It was February of 2018, and um, we moved into an apartment off of Franklin Gateway, and we moved there because it's really diverse ethnically and um, socioeconomically, and we felt really called to just put ourselves in a new place and to love a variety of different kinds of people. And we felt like God had put a vision on our hearts, and that that vision was to see the gospel proclaimed and people exposed to that gospel through word and deed, not just through the things that we said, but by what they saw us living out in our lives. Now, the primary way that we seek to accomplish this mission is by planting a church inside of our apartment complex. In the ways that we do church, uh, the model might be unfamiliar to you guys. It doesn't quite look like what you see right now or what you experience on most Sunday mornings what we do, we call simple church, or otherwise known as house church. Um, but we don't meet in my house. Um, we meet in the leasing office every Sunday night at 5 p.m. And um, yeah, so we love this model. We feel like it is um, an, a, an amazing missional expression of church. Um, and really, all that it is is that we take everything that you guys are used to, all that all of us are used to, whenever we come to church on a Sunday morning, and we try to strip away everything that would be considered non-essential. We try to leave church at its bones. And the reason we do this is because we want church to be easily planted and easily reproduced. We want to see God's message continue to grow and expand and reach new communities for people to be able to come and look at the way that we live and the way that we do church, and they would say, you know what, like, I can do that. I believe that I can plant a church over here. I don't need to have a big building or a big budget or even need to be a great communicator. You'll see I'm not a great communicator in just a minute, and uh, that God has still called me to do this. Now, uh, really quickly, you know, a lot of people think about house church, and they think, um, aren't those led by people that are like weird or mad at the church or like they've been really church hurt and so they, they just like stomped off and they started a church in their house. Um, that's not who we are and honestly I don't think that many house churches are that way. That's the exception to the rule. Um, I love the church and I want to be in unity with the church. Um, we are just another member of the body trying to see God's will, God's mission accomplished in our communities. So back in 2017, when my wife and I were trying to, 
to seek God's will and to determine what it is that he was calling us to do, uh, we read a bunch of books. And one of those books was called Family on Mission. It was written by Mark and Sally Breen. And they're awesome. They've written a ton of stuff, and their focus is really on discipleship. Uh, And so a lot of what you guys are going to hear today, I don't want to take any credit for what I'm saying. A lot of it was taken from this book. It's a really great book. It's really short. I'd encourage you guys to read it. Um, And when it talks about family on mission, it's, it's talking about a community of believers joining in God's mission. And the reason we talk about family rather than saying community, it'd be really easy for me to just say it's a community on mission, but we use family because community, the way that you and I think about community is different than what we're talking about today. When we think about community, we often think about small groups. Small groups are good and I believe a step towards what God is calling us to, but we know that there is a distinct difference in the relationship you have with your small group and what you have in your household. Those relationships run much deeper at home than sometimes they do at church. And you don't even really get to pick your family. You know, it's like you, they just like showed up one day and you had to figure out how to navigate those relationships. Oftentimes our communities are made up of people that we picked You know, we handpicked. Many of us are about to go to Thanksgiving dinner or lunch or whatever it is you do in your household, and you've got like those parts of your family where you're like, oh man, they're just going to talk about politics the whole time. And you're going to have to navigate that, but because they're family, you love them, you're patient with them sometimes. Um, But anyways, that's what I'm talking about is a family, a community of believers that are radically committed to one another, and radically committed to God's mission being accomplished. Now we, Megan and I, are not pros at this. It's really hard to do this, to pull together an extended family and to love each other well. We are constantly just trying to take one step further, one step deeper into being a family on mission. And so I've got two objectives today. One is that each and every one of you would leave here ready to take one step closer to being a part of a family on mission. You don't have to do anything too crazy, just one step. My other objective really is that the Spirit would move. Uh, my, my prayer, more than my objective, is that the Holy Spirit would stir in a, a handful of your hearts and that you would feel like, you know what, I believe that God is calling us to go and be a part of this family on mission at Dwell to be a part of the church at Dwell. Excuse me. Your mouth gets dry when you're nervous. I don't know if you guys can tell. Um, So I believe that all people desire to be a part of a family on mission. I know that some of you guys have already heard me talking about family being hard and community being easy, and you're already like, all right, I'm out. I don't really want to do this whole thing. Family is hard enough, right? Um, But I believe that we desire it. And anthropologists teach us that if we look at the artifacts of our culture, that we can actually see the dreams and the desires of that culture. So the artifacts that you and I see regularly are music and television and commercials. 
all of those things have an underlining message and a story that deep down we all believe and we all desire. I think a perfect example of this is the AMC hit TV show, The Walking Dead. Yeah, I'm talking about zombies at church. Um, Megan and I love this, this show, or at least the first few seasons, um, and it, it's awesome. So it is uh, a story that really follows this one main character named Rick, and he's a sheriff's deputy here in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, in the first episode, he goes into a coma, and he's in the hospital, and when he wakes up, he finds that the world has fallen to a zombie apocalypse. Bummer. Um, so the first thing that he wants to do when he wakes up is find his family. He says, where's my wife and my son? And so we watch him go and seek out his family. And when he finally finds them, they're not alone. They've actually surrounded themselves with a community of people that have pulled together their resources and their abilities in order to survive. And as the seasons progress, we watch this group of strangers become a family. And their common mission actually becomes much more than just survival. They start talking about what it means to be a human or what it means to be good in a world that is nothing but bad. They were a family on mission. I think we saw a glimpse of this when COVID first hit. Practically every commercial or company on television was putting out this thing that says, we're in this together. It was just this, this message we saw over and over and over again that we were working communally as an extended family to accomplish a common mission of slowing the spread of coronavirus. I think my favorite example is a commercial that I saw several years ago that Hershey's Chocolate put out. And it opens up with this huge statistic on the screen. It's big and bold, and it says, only 31% of Americans know their neighbors. I'm like, that's crazy. And you watch this camera crew go and knock on doors and say, hey, do you know your neighbors? And one after another, they say, no. So what Hershey's does is they put this big s'mores bar in the middle of a cul-de-sac and they invite everybody out, and you watch this montage of people smiling and laughing and getting to know one another, and you feel really good, right? You're like, oh man, Hershey's, they're so great. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> right, but, like, but that's like the whole purpose of a commercial. So they wouldn't have made this commercial if you didn't value community. Otherwise, you would have watched that and thought, oh, I mean, whatever, that's dumb. Like, I don't know why they did that. Just gave away a bunch of free stuff. Um, but no, you and I, we, we desire, our culture desires to be a part of a community, a family that extends beyond our own household. We want to be known and we want to know others. And so they put this out to, to pull on our heartstrings, one, and then two, I think it's, they really highlight a very interesting fact. We all want community, but we're all really bad at it. Only 31% of Americans know their neighbors. I, I hope that those are all Christians. It's just like, hey, the entire Christian population in the United States is really good at community, but I don't think that that's the case. We want it, but we're bad at it. So why? 
Why do we want it? For that, I want to look at Scripture. Uh, and today, I want to just give you guys a heads up. Uh, this is a topical message, uh, which is not typically the way I do things, but we're going to hit a bunch of Scripture, and I'll run through it really quick, and I don't have all of it on slides. So um, the first thing that we see is that um, God is a triune God. We believe in a God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That He has for all eternity been in community with Himself. And when we look at Genesis chapter 1, God says, Let us make man in our own image. We were made in the image of a communal God. In the uh, Genesis 1 poem that we see, you know, God makes light and he says, it is good. He makes earth and says, that's good. The water is good. The, the plants and that's good. And then, and then he gets to man. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. The first thing that God says isn't good is for us to be outside of community. And so he puts Adam to sleep, takes out his rib and makes woman. And then immediately gives them a mission. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He, God desires to see his family grow. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 12, and we see God telling Abraham that he was going to give him a son, and that from his line that he was going to raise up a family. And it would be through that family that would become a nation, and that through that nation... All nations would be blessed. God was going to use family to accomplish his mission of seeing all people reconciled back into right relationship with him. Fast forward to the New Testament, and we look at the life and ministry of Jesus. When Jesus' ministry began, he went to his hometown. So these are the people that he had grown up around, people that he loved and loved him. His friends and his neighbors and his family. And he tells them, guys, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you guys have been waiting for. And nobody believes him. And they go to try to throw Jesus off of a cliff. And then he leaves there. He doesn't get thrown off the cliff, just so you know. Um, and, then, and then he goes and he just saves the world all by himself. He was like, man, I can't believe my family rejected me. I guess I'll just do it on my own. No, that's not the way the story goes, right? Jesus, if there was anybody in the world that could have accomplished God's mission perfectly by themselves... It would have been Jesus, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it that way. He began to pull together a new family, the 12 disciples. He pulled together these random misfit guys of fishermen and tax collectors and sinners that, that would come and follow him and watch the way that he lived. And it would be as a family that they would go and see God's mission accomplished. In Mark chapter 3, we see um, Jesus do some pretty crazy stuff. He's teaching, and his mother and his brother come to call on him. But they can't get through the crowd. And so word passes along. Somebody comes to Jesus, and they say, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brother are here. They want to talk to you. And he says, 
Who is my mother and my brother? Anyone who does the will of God is my mother, brother, and sister. Jesus begins to radically redefine the kind of family that he's pulling together. It's not one bound by blood or heritage. It is one bound by a common spirit. So you and I desire to be a part of a family on mission. One, because we were made in an image, in the image of a communal God. And because two, he has embedded in us a purpose to accomplish his mission as a community. But we're all really bad at it. Why? Excuse me. I don't think that we're bad at it on purpose. I think it's an accident, right? So with the invention of Facebook and automobiles and highways, our lives have slowly but surely become more and more fractured. We drive 45 minutes to work, spend time there for, you know, spend most of our lives there. Then we drive 45 minutes back where we've got our family. And then we try to catch up with our old friends that we've, you know, that we love, but, you know, they're not on the same page as us. Maybe they don't believe in Jesus. Maybe they do. And then we've got our church friends. And then we've got our small group. And sometimes we see our small group on Sundays, but not always. Like, those might be two different relationships. And none of these things intersect, right? Like, My church friends definitely don't hang out with my old friends. And my work friends, they don't hang out with my family. And and because of that, you just don't have the time or the energy to go deep with anyone outside of your household. You are spent and exhausted. And the thing is, I think we've found a level of contentment in that. I said, you know what, like, I don't know that I, I really want to be in relationship, deep, intimate relationship with anybody outside of my household. Why would I? Family's hard. It's difficult. It costs me something. Every day I've got to live with these people and I've got to be gracious of their behavior and they've got to be gracious with me and we've got to help each other whenever they want to move. Like, like, like what is that? Like, family is difficult and it costs us comfort and convenience. Family is inconvenient, if anything. And yet we all value it. Megan and I, I don't know if you guys know this, I just had a baby. Uh, three and a half months ago. Uh, his name is Moses. He's watching on the cameras. So, at home. I'm sure my wife is laughing hysterically at home. Um, I'm such a goober. Uh, so, yeah, so I just had a baby, and um, I don't really understand, like, uh, why we all have babies. Like, it's really confusing to me because it's really difficult. Like, children are hard. Like, there is nothing fun about waking up at 12, 2, 4, 6 to a screaming child. Like, there's just nothing fun about that. And then all that fun stuff that we used to do with our friends, no more of that. Not for a while, at least, right? Like, we all know that having a baby is hard. I don't think we're under the illusion that it's anything other than difficult, but like, but the thing is, is that we haven't forgotten the reward. 
right? There are selfish and sinful people, people that don't know Jesus all over the world, ready to radically reorient their life in order to count the cost and experience the reward of having a baby. We haven't forgotten the reward of a baby. It's a good gift. I love my son. Honestly, like two of the greatest days of my entire life were like the days that I watched my wife walk down the aisle and the day that I watched my son be born. There is nothing like entering in to a relationship that's deeply committed to one another. But I'm afraid that we haven't looked at other people in our church and said, I want to enter into that kind of relationship with you. I want to be committed to you. We've forgotten that there is still a great reward in being in deep and intimate and personal relationships with one another. It's not easy, but it is worth it to love and be loved. Not only is it rewarding, but it's also deeply important. If you look on the slide, I've got a passage for us. It's important because of what Jesus prays in John chapter 17. It says, looking at verses 22 to 23, it says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, Jesus is praying in the garden for believers. And what he's saying here quite explicitly is that by our unity, the world would come to believe. Not only that Jesus came, but that God loves them. If we are united by a common spirit, a common love, a common mind, a common purpose, then the world will get to see that God loves them. We must begin to count the cost, consider the reward, and keep in mind those that will get to see the love of God by the way that we behave, by the way that we care for one another. So hopefully by now, some of you are saying, okay, I'm in, I want to do this. How do I take one step into being a part of a family on mission? How do I do that? For that, again, we'll look at the screen in Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We must become imitators of God. As Christians, we do what we always do. We look at the life of Jesus and we say, how did he do family on mission and how do I begin to do that in my own life? We want to be imitators of his words, works, and ways. And so first we're going to look at words. Jesus' teachings are filled with compassion and correction, love and rebuke. I think that as a community of believers, we tend to be pretty bad at this. 
we're good at either one or the other. We're either really good at loving, but I don't really want to like, tell you what to do. Or we're really good at rebuking, and we just hurt a bunch of people. We're not good at really loving them. These things must be held in tension, in unity. Jesus did it beautifully. Back in January, uh, I went on vacation with my wife. Um, and I was having my quiet time one morning, which makes me sound spiritual because I'm on vacation and I'm having a quiet time. Um, I don't always, but I did this day, and I'm very grateful I did. And I feel like the Lord put these words in my head. He said, your life has been marked by love. And as I sat and I thought about that, what does it mean that I've been marked by love? And I felt like the Lord reminded me I don't know that there has been a single day in my entire life that I haven't heard the words, I love you. I know that not everybody gets that. I've been marked by love. I can, man, my parents are here, so that's why I'm so emotional. I can still hear my dad's voice in my head. I love you, buddy. He didn't just say it when I was like leaving the house or when he had to at the times it felt appropriate. My dad told me he loved me every day. Honestly, I couldn't even walk into, walk into another room without my dad telling me he loved me. It was so ridiculous, but uh, uh, whatever. I'm cool, man. I'm cool. Um, but no, I'm also grateful. I had, I had a community of friends where we would say, I love you, bro. And I've got a beautiful and wonderful wife who loves me each and every day. And she encourages me. My life has been marked by love and who I am today has been shaped by those three words. I love you. And the thing about it is when we are a community marked by love, when the day comes and the day will come that we need to correct one another, when you have those hard conversations, when people are so rooted and established in that love that it doesn't go into question. We've made rebuke a dirty word, but it's certainly not. It is loving to say, hey, man, you've got it out of whack. You need to come back to Jesus. And when you tell people that it is an expression of love, and it might not feel good in the moment, but people need to hear it. So we should be a people that speak love often. I think an easy way for us to apply this to our life is some of the ways that we apply it in our church at Dwell. Uh, on people's birthdays, we do affirmation circles, which makes everybody uncomfortable at first, but nobody leaves 
discouraged, right? Like they feel good, they feel full, and they feel known. They feel loved. We just take turns telling them what we love about them. Another thing that we do is that we hold one another accountable. Not only on Sunday mornings to making sure that we're living in obedience to God's word, but also in groups of men and women getting together and confessing sin and calling each other out on sin and praying together and seeking God's forgiveness. We need to be a people who are constantly affirming one another and constantly calling each other back to following Jesus. Next, we're going to look at the works of Jesus. Jesus was a servant to all. And in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, it says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's a heavy word. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's a tough word. Now, I'm not saying that you need to become like a socialist or something and that you need to like take a vow of poverty and sell everything that you have but what I am saying is that you need to have a community of people outside of your household there needs to be five six seven families that you are radically devoted to one another and to God's mission and that nobody in that community in that family should have need one thing that we have done as a church a few times and And when the faces change, we know that we have to do it again, but uh, we'll get a whiteboard and we just list out all the resources that we have. We say, you know what, I've got a washer and dryer. If you don't have a washer and dryer, you come over to our house, do laundry here. You know, we've got an extra car. If you guys ever need to borrow a car or a ride, you can use that. You know, Megan's really good at resumes, so if you need help on your resume, she can do that. Or you know what, like we've got this savings and whenever somebody's got need, we want to be able to give that to you. Living life generously means pulling together your skills, your abilities, your resources, and taking it in front of that community and say, when you need it, I need you to take it. And when I need it, I need to be able to come to you and say, hey, I've got a need. Will you meet it? This is what it looks like to be a family on mission. Lastly, we want to look at the ways of Jesus Jesus made disciples in the everyday stuff of life. When you and I think about making disciples, oftentimes we imagine meeting up with somebody for coffee once a week. And Jesus doesn't really do that. Like he didn't do that in scripture. But what he did do was he took these guys and he said, hey, come and look at the way that I'm living. Follow me. Live the way I'm living. See, we have all been discipled in this way, whether we know it or not. We were, even if we did have that person we met up with once a week, the people that shaped us most are those that we've watched, the people whose lives we've been witnessing. 
And unfortunately, I think that most of us have been discipled into churchgoers. We thought that what it meant to be a follower of Jesus meant showing up to church on Sundays. And if you're really radical, you go on Wednesdays. (laughs) And I'm afraid that we might be raising up another generation behind us that are watching our lives and thinking, if I want to follow Jesus, I just got to show up on Sundays and Wednesdays. We need people to be able to see the junk and the mess and the everyday stuff of our lives. You don't need to choose between going to your kid's baseball game and meeting up with that person for coffee. You need to invite that person to your kid's baseball game. Watch the way that you yell at the coach, you know, like, right? Like you need, but for real, like we need to watch, we need to invite people into our lives, into family dinner. People that we're discipling need to see you fight with your husband and your wife. They need to witness it because, not because fighting is good, but because it happens. That's what real life looks like. And they need to see what it looks like to argue and then come back to another, one another and confess your sin to apologize, to seek forgiveness and reconciliation, to pray with your spouse. When people witness your junk, they begin to see how God can enter into their junk. If we want to be an imitator of the ways of Jesus, we need to begin to let people see our lives. This is why Megan and I didn't just plant a church somewhere. We wanted to live in the community that we were doing this. We wanted people to be able to see the way we live. Going over on time, but really quick. I do want you guys to take one step. You'll look on the screen. Um, I would love for you guys not to be overwhelmed. Hopefully you're not overwhelmed. I know that this can be a lot, but I would love for you guys to think about how do I just take one step into being a family on mission? So, you know, looking at those three things, the words, works, and ways of Jesus, grade yourself. Give yourself A, B, C, or D. So where am I the weakest and how do I take one step in that direction? And I do, I do want to just take a second because I know that not all of us are in the same place. Like some of you guys that are watching from home, I know that like with COVID, like I, I've been trying to be very cautious as well. I've got a lot of respect for, for people on both sides of, you know, how they're responding to COVID. You might be looking at these things that I've said and thought, I can't do that right now. Like, And you don't need to feel guilty or feel like you're not being obedient to God's word because you're just not ready to invite people into your house. That's okay. I just want to encourage you guys to to figure out where am I comfortable? Where is it that God is leading me to be obedient right now? And how do I take one step? Others of you, I would hope that maybe the spirit is stirring Not that you would be impressed, but that the Spirit would truly be stirring in your hearts. That you would want to come and be a part of our family on mission at Dwell. You don't want to just take one step, but you feel like you're ready to take a bunch of steps forward. We're still navigating what this looks like amidst coronavirus and all that, but we are constantly trying to take steps towards this. 
Uh, if you want to know more about our church and how you can come be a part of what we're doing, then we've got flyers. Uh, there's a QR code on there that'll lead you to a Sign Up Genius. And on December 5th, we're going to have uh, a gathering um, where we'll just let you guys know a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Um, we'd also like to open this up to anybody that says, you know what, I don't feel called to, to go with you, but I'm ready to go do family on mission in my own community, and I want to know more steps. How do I do this? Uh, we would love for you to come as well and hear a little bit more about what we're doing and, and take what you can and see how you can apply it to your own context. But that is all that I have for you guys today. Let me just close in some prayer. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you so much for um, your love, Lord. We thank you that you have not uh, led us to doing life alone, Lord, that you have made us in your image to be in community. You've made us for community. And you seek to accomplish your mission through community, God. We pray that you would give us the boldness and the ability to, to meet with a group of other people that love you and love others. Lord, I pray that you would bring together new families, extended families, Lord, that are radically devoted to seeing your mission accomplished. That we would be patient and gracious with one another and that we would find the great reward of loving and being loved by another. Lord, I ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we did run over a couple minutes. This is kind of stirring, but I don't want to pass the opportunity to connect with Russell and with Josh and Rocio. So if you need, you get your children, those of you that have kids, but find Josh and Rocio. You see them on the way out the door. Scan the QR code when you're walking out. It's right out there and right out there um, to make sure that you uh, can follow up with this sign up genius. I do think the Lord's stirring hearts. And so we want to make sure that we obey. It'll be super easy, especially this week, to lose sight of the next step once we leave this place. Life is going to hit. And so I don't want you to do that. I want you to be faithful to whatever the Lord is stirring you uh, to do in this moment. And uh, we'll see you on next week. We'll see you Sunday. Y'all have a great Thanksgiving. I'm so glad you guys were able to join us today. Um, just It was a special service where we got to hear from Josh Rocio and also uh, Russell and what him and Megan are doing at Dwell. And just wanted to start out, first of all, if you need community, if you need people that can be your people, that rally around you, that support and encourage you and challenge you in your faith, please reach out to me. We still can pair you up with small groups, whether they are online or in person. Um, we have a variety of small groups and ways that we do want to see everyone at Stonebridge get plugged in and connected with their people, with a community. Um, and so my email, matt at stonebridgemarietta.org. Um, yeah, it's a compelling message where we did get to hear God's heart for us to be in community in word, works, um, and in the ways that we live. Um, and, and so that would be my biggest challenge for you to think about in your conversations with the Lord this week. Be asking him, God, who are you asking me to invite into my family? Um, who are you in your cul-de-sac, in your neighborhood, on your street, who are you, who's God leading you to really take a, l a layer deeper, to be able to be more intentional, sharing uh, and caring for their needs um, 
as we see Jesus doing with his disciples. And so that would be my prayer prompting for this week as you guys are going forward. We have Erica who's also going to speak and share. What did you hear um, or, or what, did, what kind of sort of encouragement word did you feel like that you um, would like to share with those online? Um, I think I would just second what you're saying and that um, if you are feeling disconnected or you feel like you want to help cultivate and facilitate community, I think Matt's a great person to reach out to um, and also Kim. Um, and, you know, we have so many just for personal things, for prayer. Um, if you're needing prayer ministry, um, we have great lists of counselors at our church. Um, we were not made to go it alone. And so reach out today and that might need to be your first step. Yeah, thank you so much, Erica. Um, one final thing before you guys go. In the comments on the Facebook uh, comment area, you will see a link to a survey. We really just, it takes one minute. It's four questions. We really just want to gather, see how you're, how you're doing in this season. See how we are doing with you, walking alongside you uh, in this time. And then seeing what other available resources you may be interested that we can put together for you. So thank you guys so much for coming. I hope you guys have a great day.